Right, straight in Hebrews 10, verse 21 to 23. Let me read this to you. Since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and the full assurance that faith brings, the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess For he who promised is faithful. The full assurance that faith brings, for he who promised is faithful. Or in the words of the song from the great theologian and prophet, George Michael, I got to have faith. Ooh, I got to have faith. Because I got to have faith, faith, faith. I got to have faith, faith, faith. The right words, maybe the wrong sentiment. So our Hebrew series is back in full swing and we're on the home straight. There are three more weeks, then we're done. And each week, we're asking how the book of Hebrews can help us grow towards the mandate that God gave the church at Junction 10 in 2013, which was to build a community with Jesus at the centre. And I hope you've been getting something from diving deep into this book of Hebrews Um, And I hope that you've found the Daily Devotional helpful. Who has the Daily Devotional? Yeah, quite a few of you. Um, I think I'd like to ask you over the next few weeks of this study to challenge yourself every day with this question. In your quiet time, ask yourself, how can I put Jesus at the centre of my life and how how can I help the church at Junction 10 build community with Jesus at the centre and if you finish the devotional a while back why not pick it up and do it again or if you bought the book but it's gathering dust on your shelf why not commit here and now over the next 30 days to read it every day and then by the time you finish that 30 day devotional we'll be at the end of our Hebrews series Um, so if you hadn't guessed my talk today is on a greater faith And it starts in Hebrews 10 and spills a little bit into Hebrews 11. And similar to the previous time I preached, I want to break this down into three simple points. First point, what about faith? Second point, all about Jesus. And third point, what about us? And point one is probably going to be the longest because we can only properly understand Jesus and what faith means to us if we really grasp what faith is. So first, what about faith? And I want to ask us a few questions within this section. And the first question is, why is faith important? So turn to the person next to you in twos and threes, very quickly, 30 seconds. Why do you think faith is important? Quick, quick. Why is faith important? Okay, thank you. What sort of things did we come up with? Why why is faith important? Sorry? Our daily bread? Impossible to please God without faith? Foundation? Absolutely. Brilliant. Why is faith important? Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, 
It is only by faith that you are saved. So you can't experience salvation, this foundation that Hazel just said, most important eternal thing that you'll ever do without faith. And as Daza said in Hebrews 11, verse 6, it says, without faith it's impossible to please God. And that's why faith's important. It's important for our salvation and to please God. And I want to be a God pleaser. Do you? Yeah. Yeah, we all want to be God pleasers. And although God loves us all, and his gift of eternal life is offered freely, we must always remember that faith's needed to please him. So that's why faith's important. But what does faith do? This is where I want to dip into Hebrews 11. And I'll go through these few verses here. We find that verse 3, by faith we understand. Verse 4, faith offers a better sacrifice like Abel did. Faith is the key to, to eternal salvation like Enoch. Faith builds. It builds like Noah did. Built an ark. Faith allows us to obey like Abraham, even when we don't know where God is calling us to. Verse 17, faith can come in the form of a test, sometimes a very costly test, like Abraham. Verse 23, faith prompts exceptional action. Verse 24, faith presents opportunities for us to choose. Verse 25 and 26, faith's certainty Instead of momentary enjoyment, is true wealth. Faith is persistent in the face of adversity, verse 27. Verse 29, faith opens a way. And verse 35, faith enables you to suffer great atrocities. So faith's important and it does all those things. So our next question's got to be, what is faith? Now, Everyone has faith. Every single person has faith. And if someone tells you they don't have faith, it's just not true. They may not have faith in God, but they have faith that the sun will rise the next morning. They have faith that gravity will keep them rooted to the earth. If they have great faith, they might believe the bus will come on time. If they have monumental faith, they might believe that Theresa May will sort Brexit before the next elections for the European Parliament. Now, that might be misplaced or misguided faith. Um, but today, Wolves fans no longer need faith that they'll be playing in the Europa League thanks to Man City yesterday. That needed a great amount of faith, though, didn't it? Flipping heck. So the question we really need to ask in the context of Hebrews, is this. What is biblical faith? Now, faith is always a gift from God and never something that can be produced by people. It's not worked up by human effort. It's a divine persuasion by grace, a gift. And like any other gift, you don't earn it. You can't work for it. Faith can only be received from God. It's distinct from human belief, yet it involves it. Faith is a gift, but faith can also be formed in us. We can't just conjure up faith, but we can grow it by the grace of God and with the help of the Holy Spirit. Our part, as we heard in those songs just before this time, is to yield and surrender to God 
as he continually births faith in us. And we get faith by hearing Romans 10, verse 17 says, So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, the logos. There is a message of the gospel that you have to hear about, and this hearing happens by the word of Christ. This is how faith comes. And the Bible says that faith is the evidence of things unseen. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for, and it's an assurance about what we don't see. And the Bible says this, the fundamental fact of existence is a trust in God. This faith is a firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. That's the message version. Now, the Greek word translated faith is pistis. Say that to the person next to you. Pistis. And this word... Now, don't gig. It's not funny. <laughs> this word means to be properly persuaded, to come to trust. So what are the things that we need to be properly persuaded about and that we trust in when we have faith? Well, our faith fundamentally is that God is God, the creator of the universe, that Jesus, the light of the world, the word made flesh, who was with God in the beginning and is God, came as Messiah to be born of a virgin, to live, to be crucified, on the third day resurrected, who ascended to the Father and sent his Holy Spirit, that whoever believes in him, and that means following him, it means abiding in him, it means obeying his commandments of love, will have eternal life and a similar resurrection when our mortal body fails. That sounds like good news. Do I get an amen? We have faith. That God is a tender, loving, heavenly Father. That he wants the very best for us. That he has kingdom plans for us. And that his ways are higher than our ways. And while we can only see the temporal earthly things, he sees the eternal picture. We have faith that when we face trials and persecutions that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Faith impacts on our wills, on our emotions, on our intellect, on our actions, on our attitude. In fact, faith should impact every single aspect of our life. Because our faith flows from the message of the cross which is foolishness to the world, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So another question I want to ask is what isn't faith? And to me, the biggest thing that faith isn't, it isn't believing that God has promised you something when he hasn't, even if you can find a scripture to back it up. Believing false promises can lead us to think that God is somehow unfaithful or unreliable. And the Bible says that's not true. He is faithful. And the problem is when we believe false promises, we blame God for something he didn't do for us 
when he'd never said he'd do that thing. And it's a very easy trap to fall into, using faith as a way of trying to get what we want, but believing it's what God wants. And it's almost sometimes like God's a vending machine. We put our faith in the slot, we press the button, we say, in the name of Jesus, amen, and hey presto, we expect to get the prize. Now I can see you looking at me a bit strange. And I can hear you thinking, hang on, Will. In three of the synoptic gospels, didn't Jesus say, one, whatever we ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Two, Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it, and it will be yours. And three, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. The Bible says those things. But the problem is, sometimes we make the mistake of making my will dominant. But we pray, his will be done. And we miss a vital ingredient out, and we wonder why our faith isn't working the way we think it should. And that vital ingredient is something called abiding. You see, all the promises of Jesus are true. You can pray for whatever you want, and Jesus will do it, but the promises are conditional. Jesus said in John 15, verse 7, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you, if. There's the condition. Abiding in Jesus and obeying his commands means loving God with all our heart, soul, body, and mind. It means loving our neighbours as ourselves. It even means, I'm afraid, loving our enemies. It means forgiving people. It means growing in the fruit of the Spirit. It means living from an eternal perspective, not just an earthly one. If you have the mind of Christ, and the Bible tells us that as believers we have the mind of Christ, if you abide in him, if you obey him, if your character and your mind is transformed into Christ-likeness, then of course whatever you ask will be done, because it will be what Christ is asking. Jesus said, I only say... What I hear the Father saying, and I only do what I hear the Father doing. Okay, so that brings us nicely from our first point about what is faith to our second point, all about Jesus. Now, Jesus came to save us. That was his mission. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself, it's a gift from God. The word saved here comes from the Greek word sozo. Again, turn to the person next to you and say sozo. A bit less giggling that time. That's, uh, yeah, excellent. And this word sozo or saved means healed, it means delivered, it means restored, it means preserved, it means made whole. It means to keep safe and sound. It means to rescue from injury or peril and to rescue from danger and destruction. And there's two elements to this. One element is to deliver from the penalties of judgment and to save from the evils which obstruct our deliverance. And it means to save from suffering and disease, to make well, to heal and to restore to health. So this saving faith 
that heals us, restores us, assures us of our eternal salvation is a faith in Jesus. Now, Jesus was amazed two times when it came to faith. And firstly, he was amazed at the centurion's faith. Jesus said, never in the whole of Israel had he seen such faith as the centurion. Because the centurion believed who Jesus was. He believed that the authority of Jesus, that Jesus just had to say one word and his daughter could be healed. Jesus marveled at the faith of the centurion who recognized the divine Christ in Jesus. And the centurion recognized at the same time his own unworthiness and sin, saying to Jesus he didn't even want him to come to the house because he was so unworthy. And Jesus marveled at a non-Jew's faith. Never in Israel had he seen such faith. That same word is used twice in the Gospels, that amazed word. And the second time it's used is when Jesus is in his hometown. In Mark 6, and I'll read this to you, verse 4, Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honour except in his own town, amongst his relatives and in his own home. He, Jesus, could not do any miracles there. Jesus, God, could not do many miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Jesus was amazed at the extent of their unbelief. Amazed that presented with all the evidence that he was the Messiah, they could only see the carpenter's son. Now Jesus does sometimes test our faith. In Mark 7 verse 24, he called a Syrian woman from Phoenicia, a dog. When she asked him to heal a daughter, he said, you're a dog. But her reply, even dogs eat the crumbs from under the table, revealed the woman's great confidence in who Jesus was. And Jesus said to her, because of that statement, your daughter is healed. Because she had faith that even the crumbs from Jesus' table would heal her daughter. You see, whenever Jesus tests our faith, he doesn't do it to catch us out. He does it to give us the opportunity to demonstrate and to grow our faith. Now, sometimes, and I know some of us are all going, you know, I'd say the majority of us are going through some sort of test of faith at the moment. Tests of faith can be puzzling. They can be humiliating. And they're difficult. But that's because Jesus sees the bigger picture. And Jesus is far more interested in growing our souls and our spiritual life than he is preserving our comfort or our ego or our false self-image. And sometimes God has to break us before he can use us. Now Jesus taught that with faith, even faith as small as a mustard seed, we could do jaw-dropping things. Because it's not about the size of our faith, but about the size of our God. I'm going to say that again. It's not about the size of our faith. It's about the size of our God. And there's a very curious incident, actually, around this, where Jesus, it's about Jesus and a withered fig tree. And he uses that to teach his disciples and us about faith. Jesus said, if you believe in your heart and your heart is not divided, 
then you can tell a mountain to be cast into the sea and it will be done for you. Now, as far as I'm aware, Jesus, nor his disciples, in the whole of the history of the church, have ever physically cast a physical mountain into a physical sea. So, what did Jesus mean? Well, a clue is in the fig tree that happens just before this part of the story. And Jesus had cursed the fig tree on the way to the temple, and then he chased out the money changers, and when he returned, Peter noticed that the fig tree that had been cursed had withered. And what the Bible commentators tell us is that the fig tree was symbolic of Israel's unfruitful religious system. So, there's a clue there. We're looking for symbols. So, what are mountains in the Bible symbolic of? Well, mountains can represent kingdoms, and the sea can represent the nations. So, maybe part of what Jesus is saying to us is that faith lifts up and brings with us the mountain of God's kingdom when we go to the nations. That's what faith does. It brings God's kingdom realm to the nations. Also, mountains can symbolize problems. And the sea is where our sins are cast away, far away. So perhaps another part of this is about faith being the thing that's crucial to overcome the problems that we face. And there's a very interesting point here because we can talk about mountains and think about miracles and all those sorts of things. But when Jesus teaches about this, the very next thing he says is this. He says that you have to forgive people. You have to forgive people who've sinned against you. Now this is not, I'm going to talk about mountains and miracles and faith and I'm moving on to another point about forgiving people. Actually, the forgiving people, I think, was the main point of why Jesus was talking about this. And do you know, I think for some of us, it would be easier to move a mountain than to forgive the person who hurt us, who wronged us, who betrayed us, who stole from us, or who abused us. But over and over again, Jesus tells us that we have to forgive. So perhaps the bigger miracle of faith, even more miraculous than someone getting miraculously healed, or a fig tree withering, is trusting God when we feel we can't forgive people or when we face a trial. Can I give you a phrase? God, I can't, but you can. God, I can't, but you can. Very important phrase. When we can't forgive someone, God, I can't, but I want to and I need to, and I know that you can through me. God, I can't get through this trial. I can't. But you can, because with God, all things are possible. So, on to the last point. What about us? With faith, we're offered the greatest gift, the opportunity to participate in the divine flow, recognizing that God placed eternity in our hearts. He gave us a unique soul to steward. He offers to come and make his home in us, to fill us with his Holy Spirit, to love us and care for us, to never leave us or forsake us. These 
are things the Bible says that if you have faith will be true forever and ever and ever. And that sounds like good news to me. Our faith does revolve around believing in Jesus. But this believing requires an active participation. It's not passive. It's not just a one-time intellectual decision to believe that Jesus existed. It's a day-by-day, lifelong commitment to following him, to loving him, to listening to him, to obeying him, to abiding him, to be led by him. And all because, can I promise you, there is no one else in the entire universe who wants and knows the very best for you other than Jesus. And it doesn't always feel like that, but I promise you that's true. Jesus knows you better than anyone else. He knows what's best for you and your eternal future. I think that's why becoming a community with Jesus at the center is important. I think that's why God asked us to do it. And I think that's what it looks like. And I want to help us become the sort of people described back in Hebrews 10, verse 34 to 35. It says this, You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded, Junction 10. These Christians were radically free from the love of this world and from the values that drive most of what passes for success. They were free from this bondage because it said they knew they had a better and lasting possession. Today, do you know that you have better and lasting possessions than your house or your car or your career? Faith is confidence in God, in his fidelity, in his truth, his wisdom, his promises, our trust that his ways are right and that his declarations and promises are true. I trust everything his word says about him. I trust that God is my heavenly father, that Jesus is the son of God, that he sent his Holy Spirit that I may have life and life to the full in communion with him. Here, while I have this mortal body, And in eternity, when I am clothed with my imperishable body. And I trust what his word says about me and my relationships with God through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. I am a child of God. I am seated in heavenly places. I am a co-heir with Christ. And so are you. And just to round things up, I want to talk about enduring faith. Because I think it's important that as I stand here and say all these scriptural, biblical, true things about faith, I also need to acknowledge that I don't have it all sorted by a long way. For my little family this year, it's been a year where we've really faced trials and heartaches in our walk of faith. We're only in the month of May and it feels like we've been through several years worth of battles already. And they're still going on. And I know that some of you have faced devastating events over recent months. And you've had to walk through terrible situations. And you're still walking through. They're still happening right now. 
So it's easy to talk about faith in an abstract way, but we have to make it real. I, I had a situation just this week, out of the blue, a very unpleasant email, the contents of which could have created a significant financial problem for me and Vicky. It threatened completely to derail the course that we're on. And this is in the context of we're not quite certain what's happening about work and other things. And it's been, oh, it's just been awful. Now, it's no coincidence that a couple of weeks ago, as a family, we stepped out in faith to protect and help and care for one of our Christian friends who's going through a major crisis and life trauma. And the enemy just doesn't like it. And the resultant attack on our finances turned my stomach upside down for two days. I struggled to eat. I found it hard to sleep. Now, that's no coincidence that this attack also happened the week I'm due to preach on faith. <laughs> so does the fact I reacted this way mean that I don't have faith because I felt so devastated? Well, I don't think so, definitely not. Throughout those two days, I trusted God. I trusted that he was my heavenly father, that he had his purposes, that he loves me, and he would make it work for the good. But it does mean that I'm human, and I'm not yet perfect. And I know that Jesus said you shouldn't worry, and that trials and tests will come. But you know what? As humans, they do stir up emotions, and we have to recognize that, because faith does not make us robots. And if you missed our series on doing life well, on emotional health, that's still on podcast. I suggest you go and get it because it talks about this. But I keep coming back to the phrase that has been with me over and over again over the past five years. You've heard me preach on it before. Trust the slow work of God. To have faith that endures trials, you need to remember how God worked in the past. You need to focus on doing his will in the present. You need to look to the promises for the future. Remember Junction 10, you are only part way through one chapter of your life. You're not at the end of the chapter and you're certainly not at the end of the book. And how it looks now is not how it will look when it ends. God grows our faith through battles. It's not one quick battle and then yes, our faith is perfected. It's by continuous battles. Which why I, it's why I think Jesus said to expect trouble and trials and persecutions. This is the wine press that we've just been singing about. This is the wine press that makes new wine. And as the song says, that comes with new power and new freedom. The verse I loved, so I yield to you and your careful hand. When I trust you, I don't need to understand. Our, our ability to occupy the promises of God are won by battle by battle, day by day. And in these situations, there's an invitation. And Roy preached on this at the start of our series. Roy talked about the book, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. And when the children first entered Narnia together through the wardrobe, they heard something that was beckoning them to come deeper in. Come deeper in. Like those children, God invites us to come deeper, to trust his slow hand. So as the worship team come back, please, I'm going to conclude. We are the branch and Jesus is the vine. And as we learn to be a branch of the vine and abiding Christ, there are two verses in the Bible 
that capture the essence of what it's like to have biblical faith. And it's from Matthew 16, verse 20. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So first question, junction 10. Where is your treasure today? Then verse 31, do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. So the second question, junction 10, how am I seeking his kingdom today? In your circumstances, what do you have abiding, enduring faith for? Where is your treasure? How can you put Jesus at the very center and seek first the kingdom of God? And if I had to sum up what Hebrews says about faith in relationship to the way we live our lives, it would be this. Spend your time, your money, and your very life as if God's promises in the gospel are true. Remember how God worked in your life in the past when you first came to Christ. Live that same way now. Because you know that in Christ, you have a better and lasting possession than you ever had on earth. Focus on doing God's will in the present, especially when trials tempt you to compromise. Look to God's promises for the future. Live with an enduring faith in God. And he will sustain you through every trial. Amen. We're going to stand. The worship team are going to sing a last song. We're going to take our offerings and our tithes. And as a regular member of Junction 10, uh, please feel free. If, if you give by direct debit or other means, pass the bag along. If you're a visitor, pass the bag along. But if, the, if this offering is the way that you show your worship to God, then please feel free to give joyfully, to give generously, to give lavishly, because God loves a cheerful giver. Let's stand.